60 years ago this week, Ed Harrell was afloat in the Pacific. His ship, the cruiser USS Indianapolis, had been sunk by Japanese torpedoes. Many of the crew members had not escaped. Those who had found themselves battling for their lives on the open seas with no help in sight. What was in sight was sharks. Well, you can't imagine and I can't explain, you know, the feeling that you have. You know that at any moment that uh, the shark could get you and you wonder, you know, am am I going to be next? You know, you pray and you pray more and you pour your heart out to the Lord and just hope and pray that somehow, some way that he will be faithful to the promise that you feel that he's made to you and that you'll be able to endure. This is Family Life Today for Tuesday, August 2nd. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear a powerful story today of courage and faith as we speak with one of the survivors from the USS Indianapolis. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. I somehow missed this in my study of U.S. history. I don't know that I ever was aware that on the night of July 30th, 1945, uh, just weeks before the end of World War II, a Japanese submarine, I-58, launched a spread of torpedoes at the USS Indianapolis in the Pacific Theater Two of those torpedoes found their mark, and in less than 15 minutes, this cruiser sank in the Marianas. And uh, there were almost 1,200 men on board the ship. More than 800 of those men did not survive the attack or the days that followed that attack. And, And I don't know, Dennis, that I'd ever heard about that battle or about the sinking of the ship. But it, it's truly a compelling story, especially when you consider that some 300 men were rescued days later. Yeah, and we have one of those men who was rescued uh, back with us. Ed Harold joins us again on Family Life Today. Ed, welcome back. Thank you. I want to express my appreciation for you as a veteran just for uh, serving our, our nation and, and – uh, also for uh, coming here on our broadcast and telling the story, uh, a dramatic story, of what has to be one of the most phenomenal survival stories, uh, really, Bob, in all of the World War II mm-hmm. and, and uh, maybe in the history of the United States. I mean, what you had to endure and go through. Uh, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Ed uh, is a businessman, uh, was on the board of trustees of Moody Bible for a number of years. He and his wife, uh, Ola, have a couple of children and a number of grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and he is a survivor of the USS Indianapolis. And, uh, Ed, I want you to take our listeners back because you, you shared uh, earlier the story of uh, standing 
on the deck of this boat, this great massive boat over 600 feet long at midnight as it's sinking in less than 15 minutes. What, what were you hearing at that, at that moment? I mean, it's pitch black. There's a little bit of light from the fires that are burning midship. But what was the sound like? Was it of screams of people? Were there explosions? There were still explosions going on uh, for a good while. In fact, when the ship actually went under, there were still explosions that were taking place uh, below deck. I don't know that I'm uh, waiting to listen to see what, uh, you know, what might be taking place. I'm, I'm eager to get off, uh, and I make my way then to the, to the port side and hung on to that rail and, uh, and said my prayer before I entered into the water, and I knew beyond any shadow of doubt that uh, that the Lord had, uh, uh, through the Spirit, was bearing witness with my spirit that, you know, that he was with me and uh, mm-hmm. that I would make it somehow, some way. I know later on, uh, when I was interviewed, they asked me, what uh, what were you thinking out there? Did you think uh, that you were going to make it? And I said, I thought of the 30-day leave that I would get for being a survivor. <laughs> And uh, be able to go home because I hadn't been home for a good while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking about uh, about going home, frankly. You had on what you've described as a K-Pak jacket, a life preserver. Is that what that was? That's right. And I guess I'm wondering, were there lifeboats on board the ship? Were there inflatable rafts? Were there – was it uh, man, man the lifeboats? No word of that kind was given. In fact, you didn't have time. They didn't have time. I, I could look up and see life rafts hanging uh, and those K-pop jackets hanging, but no word was given to cut those loose. And uh, I, I never saw a life raft. There were floater nets, likewise, that, uh, that later floated up, and uh, they spread them out, and boys could somewhat stand in those, not completely, but uh, at least they would keep the sharks from coming up through after them. Uh, and then the uh, the life rafts and some of those uh, floated loose, but uh, I, I never saw a raft, never saw one in the water mm. the whole time. That first moment you hit the water, you burst through the surface, you, you got clear of the oil so you could breathe. Did you begin swimming away from the sinking ship at that point? I mean, uh, again, to those of us who are laymen, a ship going down is supposed to create some kind of vacuum or and suck survivors back down after it. Did that occur? That was my thinking, and I, I was in a rush, not necessarily a good swimmer, but I was in a rush to get away from the ship, and I got away from it maybe 50 yards then to turn then to watch it then as it sank. And uh, the I, I could still hear some explosions as it was uh, as it was going under. Then as actually as the ship went under, and then all of that uh, water that was in the bow, you know, you can imagine the ship is going down and all the water in there. As it's pushing up through the ship, the ship is giving a, a real, I, I call it kind of a whistling sound mm. in that, that that air is pushing out and, and a tremendous amount of air is coming out of the ship as it went under. And, and I, could, I could hear that, but uh, that, that was about this. No, no suction. Different ones claimed that uh, they actually were pulled under, and some of them with with K-pop jackets were pulled under, and then the K-pop jacket then pulled them back up. So it wasn't the suction that I had been led to believe that uh, would uh, uh, be the case in in such a sinking. And it's the middle of summer in the South Pacific, so I'm imagining that water temperature may have been warm. Although you had a blanket around you when you were on board ship, was was it chilly? Well, we were traveling, uh, you know, right out in the open, about uh, 17 knots, so 15 mile an hour, so to speak. 
and and I needed that uh, that blanket around me to keep the chill off of me because it would be a little chilly and and yes uh, you know at at night the water was was cool in fact uh, the water in the pacific at that time was about 85 degrees and uh, of course if you stay in the water you know long at 85 degrees uh, then your body temperature is going to uh, going to drop to 85 degrees or close to that and yet in the daytime, then you're going to warm up to, uh, you know, to 100 degrees. So you burn up in the daytime and you're desperate for, you know, for water because you're, you're swimming most of the time. Uh, you're, you're, either, you're either swimming to, uh, to stay in a group or you're, you're, you're swimming to get back into a group when you've come up on a swell and you've kind of been separated. And you can imagine, you know, when we had 50 or 70 or so, Boys, and you go up on a on a swell twenty feet high, and that breaks away. Uh, then you're separated, maybe by fifty yards. So, uh, just nearly immediately, the uh, even the first day, we we learned that we needed to take our kapok jackets and and kind of hook on to each other and and stay uh, and and keep uh, even keep some of those. In fact, we had some that didn't have life jackets, and we had some boys that were injured, and we'd try to keep them in the center of our group then, or else you know we were separated completely. How so, big was your group that you were linked together with? That first night you swam over to a group and and I'm sure started talking about what do we do and how do we how do we prepare for whatever's ahead? How, how many guys were around you at that Okay, point? there there were 80 in our best that we could count. There were 80 in our group and of course again it's uh, you know it's night right after midnight. Uh, but the best that we could take inventory there were 80 of us. I had uh, two other marines with me. And one of them had been blown up against a bulkhead. He had multiple breaks in his body, and he couldn't stand for me to even hardly even to touch him to give him any assistance. But he did have a life jacket. And then um, other Marine buddy then had uh, gone into the water head first and uh, had uh, gotten all that oil then in his eyes. And uh, he's going to suffer with that now the next uh, the next few days. Uh, mm. Tremendous suffering that he experienced the next few days. Do you remember the dawn on that first morning? I remember the dawn very well the first morning because we had company. We had sharks. And uh, we had lost maybe a dozen or so boys that night. Of the 80. Uh, of the 80. And and yet we still had uh, their K-Pox and them with us. Uh, and then sometime then up in the morning there, I don't recall just exactly how and when we did it, but... Uh, we removed their dog tags, and someone supposedly kept those, and uh, and then we uh, we released them and gave them, uh, you know, a so-called proper burial there to see, and uh, and uh, someone there was an officer too there with us that uh, uh, someone would say the Lord's prayer, and that was about uh, the extent of their their burial, and uh, then it was up in the day, maybe a little bit later before the the sharks really began to come around us too much and uh, and really they didn't didn't seem to want to attack our group as long as we stayed in a group they uh, they didn't bother our group but if someone uh, would stray from the group and that's another reason why we tried to fasten ourselves together and and form a circle to keep everyone intact uh, if someone would break loose and uh, and swim out uh, then uh, all of a sudden you would hear a blood-curdling scream, and uh, and you'd look and see that that kapok jacket went under, and and then suddenly then it would come back up, and then there would be sharks, and that would be fighting over uh, the remains there for a little bit. So that began to take place, you know, all that uh, all that first day. That had to be absolutely terrifying. I mean, 
I can't even begin to fathom how fear would grip an individual, but also a group of people. I mean, you'd see the dorsal fins above the surface circling you? We'd see them circling us, and uh, nearly at any given time, if uh, maybe you didn't see them, uh, and you wonder, well, maybe they've gone. Uh, just put your head in the water, and, of course, you could see them, you know, maybe be 20, uh, you know, 12, 15-foot sharks swimming down around under you. Uh, whether they are attacking you or not, you know, you're still frightened to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be swimming uh, under you and around you and even through the group. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you, you draw your feet up tight. Uh, you draw your gut up, and, uh, you you know, you're you're so tense that— um, well, you can't imagine, and I can't explain. You know the feeling that you have when you when you know that at any moment that uh, the shark could get you, and and maybe the next moment your buddy that's within uh, five feet of you, a shark hits him and uh, takes a leg off, or disembowels him, or uh, an arm is gone, and uh, and and yet you wonder, you know, am, am I going to be next? And yet, you know, you pray and you pray more. Yeah. And you pour your heart out to the Lord and just hope and pray that somehow, some way, that he will be faithful to the promise that you feel that he's made to you and that you'll be able to endure. But that, you know, you, you wonder, too, uh, how much longer, you know, can you endure? And then when you see, you know, maybe this by the second day that uh, 20 of them or so are gone, and uh, by the third day at noon, there's 17 of us. I had a sailor to come up to me and said, hey, Marine, said, see that island over there? I just came from over there. He said, Captain Parks, Lieutenant Stauffer, Sergeant Cromling, they're over there. They're having a picnic. They want you to come over. And, uh, you know, you'd hear him and you would, uh, would think that he knows exactly what he's talking about. But, you know, you've seen what's been happening here for these two days and see the boys that had succumbed to drinking some of the salt water and then see within 15 minutes after they have had a good uh, drink of salt water, you'd see them begin to hallucinate and begin to thrash in the water and begin to scream and yell and and uh, just all kinds of contortions. And then you knew what is going to happen. And so uh, I know this one that's, that saw my uh, Marine buddies out there, he swam away and he got away maybe 25 yards and all of a sudden that blood-curdling scream and uh, I looked to see and I saw then that Kapok jacket go under and a little bit later, then the K-Pak comes back up with the part of the body uh, still fastened to the K-Pak jacket. Mm. And there had to be a just an ongoing cycle of fear and grief. I mean, fear because sharks are all around you. You, you don't know if there's anybody that even knows you're out there. Okay. What's going to happen to you? And then the grief, these are buddies. These are guys you lived on board ship with, even if it's just, even if you hadn't met them before. For the last 24 hours you've been in the water with these guys, you're you're in a foxhole and, and to watch them swim away and watch a shark take their life over and over again. That's right. The grief right. in your heart. How, how did you handle that that emotional trauma? You had to keep praying. And I know my my one Marine buddy that actually did make it, not in my group. Uh, later he uh, he he left us, and uh, but anyway he was a survivor. And uh, he tells in his testimony that uh, Harold, I, w- I actually was his squad leader, and uh, he said Harold, 
He was always praying and quoting scripture. And uh, he called me a, a hard shell Christian. I told him later, I said, you could have called me a hard head Christian, but uh, <laughs> he called me a hard head Christian, was always praying and, and, uh, and quoting scripture. And uh, he was asked, well, you, do you think that did any good? Did that uh, help to save you? And he said, well, you know, we survived, and uh, I think it did. Mm-hmm. You quoted the 23rd Psalm over and over and over again. Right. That brought comfort to your soul? You know, when you think of the Psalm, you, you know, you say, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down. In other words, he, the personal pronoun, the Lord, and he. And then after you say it a time or two, then you say, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Hmm. And so you apply it to your own heart. And then you feel that, that he hears you and that he responds and then you see a buddy then go, and then you're spared. And then you feel that the Lord that somehow, some way has given you assurance that, uh, that he's still with you, that you're going to make it. And then on the second day, you know, when you're so thirsty that your tongue begins to swell in your mouth, and, and you get to where you can't, you can't talk properly. And you're, you're praying for water, swimming in it, but you know that you can't drink it. You know the poison that it uh, contains, especially in a dehydrated body. And you've seen your buddies uh, drink some of that. I saw boys as they would hold, tear off some of their clothing and take some water and put it up in that piece of cloth and put their head down under it and drink some of that, thinking that maybe it got some of the salt out. They were desperate for water. And yet, maybe in uh, 15 minutes, then you begin to see them jerk and quiver and, and uh, thrash in the water, and then they begin to be uh, uh, not too coherent, and uh, they begin to imagine all kinds of things. And so um, I knew I couldn't drink that, but then you pray for water. And it was sometime then that, that second day that we had prayed, and even as a group we prayed, and I often say that uh, there's no such thing as an atheist, you know, in foxholes and no atheist out there. Everybody either prayed or they would ask you to pray, and and we prayed. And so we're praying, we're praying for water. We have to have it or else we aren't going to survive, we think. And then uh, after a little prayer meeting, then to look up and see a little cloud out in the, the distance and seeing as it got closer and closer— and as it got closer, you know, you could see, you could see that it's raining, and you open your mouth heavenward, you know, and you hmm. you thank the Lord, and you take your hands and you put up to your mouth, and you kind of funnel the water as a little cloud moved over, and uh, I don't know whether I got two or three tablespoons full of water, but uh, nevertheless, I got some water there on that uh, on that second day, and then there's other reminders on later in the other days. Uh, where the Lord gave me assurance that uh, that He was with me. It's been sixty years. I'm listening to you tell this story with emotion that seems as fresh as though it happened yesterday. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, He leadeth me. He restores. Right. And you know, 
in hearing your story, there has to be listeners right now who may not be in the middle of an ocean, but they're in the middle of a crisis, and they're encircled. And it's pain, it's panic, it's chaos, it's bedlam. The Lord is still the same good shepherd. He invites you to come unto him, and um, he'll lead you beside the quiet streams and the green pastures, and he will restore. But you have to take him at his word, and you have to pray that prayer, Ed, like you prayed. The Lord is my shepherd. I embrace him. Right. He does lead me. And for that person, you know, right now, I just would invite you. Maybe you've given the 23rd Psalm a hundred times. Maybe you've read it, memorized it. Maybe it's time to believe it and to express it. I don't know if you've seen it, but our friend Chip Ingram has written a new book called I Am With You Always, which explores pivotal chapters from the Psalms. And the design is to help all of us understand that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trial, King David went through great trials. God was with him. When we go through trials, God is with us. When you went through your trials out in the Pacific 60 years ago this week, God was with you, Ed. Right. And uh, we've got Chip's book in our Family Life Resource Center. In fact, we've got the book you wrote as well called Out of the Depths, which tells the story of the sinking of the Indianapolis and your survival of that disaster. Any of our listeners who want to contact us to get both of those books, we'll send you at no additional cost uh, the CDs that have our conversation this week with Ed Harrell. And in fact, they have expanded material because we're not able to include all of the interview in our broadcast time. So uh, you'll get the complete interview with Ed Harrell when you contact us. Go to our website, familylife.com. At the bottom of the screen, you'll see a little button that says Go with today's resources around it. Click that button. It'll take you right to the page where you can get more information about these resources. You can order online. Again, the website is familylife.com, and you click the Go button at the bottom of the screen. Or if it's easier to call, you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY. That's 1-800-358-6329, 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word TODAY. And uh, someone on our team can help you get these resources sent out to you. When you do contact us, if you're able to make a donation for the Ministry of Family Life today during the month of August, there's an additional resource we would love to send you as a thank you gift. Back uh, a few months ago, we had a conversation with Shanti Feldhan, who is the author of a book called For Women Only. We featured that interview on Family Life Today back in the spring, and it was immediately well-received by our listeners. I think they found it very helpful. Shanti had done research with more than a 1,000 men asking them about uh, what is at the core of what a man needs in a relationship with his wife. And some of the responses were surprising, uh, very revealing. We'd like to send those two CDs to you as our way of saying thank you this month when you make a donation of any amount to support the Ministry of Family Life today. Just ask for the CDs for women when you call 1-800-FL-TODAY 
Or if you're online and you're filling out a donation form, just type the two letters CD in the key code box, and that will let us know that you'd like to have the Shanti Feld on CDs sent to you. Again, our website is familylife.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY. And again, thanks in advance for whatever you're able to do in terms of helping with our financial needs during the month of August. Well, tomorrow we're going to be back to continue our conversation with Ed Harrell. We'll hear about uh, how you almost gave up hope on the third day that you were at sea. In fact, some of the guys who were with you did give up hope. We'll hear more about that tomorrow. I hope our listeners can be back with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.